Welcome back into the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. I am your host, Michael Crable. Thank you once again for joining us this week. Goodness, I greatly appreciate the love and support, and I can promise you that we are only getting started with this show. Future collaborations, requested guests, requested topics are on the way, trust me. And with that being said, the excitement is at an all-time high, and it wouldn't be possible without your support, so thank you so much for all of that. Okie dokie. So my guest this week is somebody I've wanted to talk to from the very beginning, ever since I envisioned this show coming together. He is a devoted husband, a co-author of the book Zero to 75 Units in One Year, along with his brother Sam, who collectively they are known as the Quack Brothers, which are, I would say, not just their business, but who they are, having known them. They're far more than this, but they're millennial real estate investors who are based out of the Chicagoland area where they are dedicated to helping hardworking people in real estate become investors and find success in that space. And most importantly is how I define my relationship with him is that he's many things to many people, but most importantly to me, he's my friend. So without further ado, say hello to Daniel Clock. Well, hey, brother, thank you. Uh, seriously, I, I was just mentioning that, um, how much I appreciate your time and your willingness to sit down and you know share some much of your valuable time with the, with the rest of us. And um, considering you know the fact that we've known each other for so long, which we'll get into, but um, yeah, I, I just hope you're doing well. Where do you find yourself in this last year in this? Yeah, that we've been going yeah, on? no, I, I love it, man. I mean, obviously, you know, people don't know our relationship, people who are listening, but you know, you're one of my best friends in college, and I mean, I still consider you very close, equally close today, right? It's not like, yeah, our, our relationship got worse uh, yeah. <laughs> ever since we graduated, you know, we're just honestly just we're still where we are. Um, you know, I love that you, you and your heart is still the same. That's what I love. You know, like you, you've always been seeking, right? You've always been looking. And, you know, obviously in scripture, right? It talks about how the, the seeking is a process, the lifelong process. Um, so I love it, man. You know, we started right before we started recording, we prayed and, um, you know, it's, I, man, it's, it's good. It's just good to be here. It's good to hear your voice again. And I know we don't get to hang out as much, but this is some good stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, you know, that's, and that's the thing when, when I've been able to actually have people, on build a talk with them, uh, whether it's face to face or through the blessings of technology, um, just build a talk about things that, that matter to us, but kind of deconstruct a lot of the walls, the, the I don't know, presuppositions that people have about really maybe difficult topics, stuff that's sensitive. And, you know, that's something in our friendship, man, we've even made fun of that before. I mean, it's, we've, we try to make light of a lot of things and try not to take ourselves too seriously. And yeah. I, and that's something that I think for a lot of the stuff that we'll, we'll at least mention a little bit tonight, I think that'll be helpful for a lot of people because I think there's a lot of um, preconceived ideas on, on what success looks like, what happens when you actually gain success. Like, is it bad? Is it good? And there's a lot of people who don't really have that type of, I would say, worldly success. And so what they do is they project their own insecurities that they have uh, onto other people. And, and we've seen that. We were, we were part of that at college when everyone was insecure and, and that's, that's kind of what I want to get into with you tonight. But before we do, one of the biggest privileges I have is asking every guest or friend, mind you, 
Um, like what was their journey to Christ like? Cause everyone has their own story and I, I cherish that. So um, mm. I know that, but the rest of the listeners won't know. How did you come to Christ? Did you grow up in the church where was the church always part of your life? Like how, how are you as, is Daniel Kwok, a millennial in his late twenties, who's married, has a, has a book, uh, is, you know, his business part with your brother, strip all that away. How are you a Christian? How, what's that journey like? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> man, it's, it's tough. Cause I know one of the big things that people say nowadays, is like, Oh, I'm not Christian. I'm spiritual. Um, <laughs> which if you say that, then please don't, um, because it's, it's so inaccurate, right? If you think about the idea of what a Christian means, it, it literally means you are a follower of Christ. Um, and, you know, when you say that you're spiritual, well, I don't know about that. You got to be really be careful. You got to really be careful because the world will define spirituality as something that is not God. That is that is the opposite. A lot of times what Jesus had to represent. So in terms of how I came to Christ, um, you know, and by the way, I'm going to turn my video on, too. So yeah. we, get, we get better. You know, no I'm sure you'll edit this out. Um, <laughs> but but in, in terms of how I came to Christ, man, that is that is not the way I remember it. Um, if anything, God, Christ has been trying to come to me. He's been knocking at the door for so long. And I finally had the, the brains to open the door. See, the thing is, man, I, I, you know, I share with a lot of people, the church has done such a great job at producing believers. We approach Christ and his kingdom on such an intellectual level to the point where we have forgotten the fundamentals. So when I was 19, 20 years old, I made the decision that I was not going to believe in Jesus anymore, that I was actually going to start following him. And, you know, Bill Graham talks about it. A lot of my, my mentors talk about it, um, how, you know, there are so many believers in the Western world when it comes to Jesus, but few very followers. And one of the things that we have to accept, we absolutely have to accept, is that during Jesus's time, not everybody who followed him believed him. A lot of people followed him for reasons that were not completely unrelated to what Jesus' intentions were. But yet Jesus still loved it. He, he still embraced yeah. every single follower. Um, so, I mean, I, I think in terms of how I came to Christ, man, I don't know. Uh, it's, a, it's a really tough question. Um, it's a really tough question to answer. Right? Like, like I said, I think a lot of Christians today are very self-centered, um, especially those who grew up in the church. Uh, and I think that's a, a lot of reasons as to why our generation, man, we're, we're being turned off. We're being turned off to the church. Hey, you, you bring up a, such a good point, and, and maybe it's this distinctive factor between being spiritual and then also being a Christian. That, that's something I'm very sensitive to uh, with a lot of the, the stuff that I studied at Olivet uh, was a lot of these heresies, a lot of these things that popped up that the church had to kind of beat down and say, hey, that, that's not right. And right now, I, I think least our culture is very warm to the idea of something that's higher than them, something that's outside of them that that is more powerful and that um, says that you were created on purpose and that you're loved beyond any measure. I think people really love that idea. Now, they, people can call it mysticism. People can call it spiritual. So this idea of a God can be whatever you want it to be. It can manifest in many forms. And that it's funny is because that God looks a lot like maybe even if it's in your mind, a golden calf, it's something that you want it to be. So yeah. is that something instead of like, as we're getting farther and farther away from the person of Christ, right. And kind of going into this very much a mystic spiritual, like, Hey, all of us are one, one earth, one nature, one people. Like where do you see that 
being accepted in the church or like, did you see that um, as something that was attractive or did you see that as like, well, that's completely opposite of Christianity. Let me, I'm not a smart guy, man. Uh, I've I've accomplished a lot of my life. I get it. I'm not a smart guy by any means. I think you found that out very quickly in college, you know, and my professors would probably say the same. Um, I'm going to give you, because I'm not smart, I'm going to give you the answer that Jesus gave every time. And he, he said, I only, I only do as I see my father doing. That's it. Um, here, you know, what's crazy. You and I, right. You and I know more theology than apostle Peter did. That's, that's, what's crazy. Like, think about that for for you, for you, everyone listening, right. Maybe you're listening to this in the car. Maybe you're working out, but, but listen to this. You, if you're listening to this podcast right now, I have a hunch. I'm going to assume that you probably read the Bible. You, maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you have, you have some level of biblical knowledge, right. Of theological knowledge. You know more theology than Peter did, but you know what Peter had? Cause I get again, the hunch that Peter was probably so far spiritually mature than you and I, what he did have was what he did have three years with Jesus. That's what he, he that's what he had. He didn't have the book of Romans. He didn't have, he didn't have Corinthians. He didn't have Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, and worse, he didn't have an Instagram page to post Jeremiah 29, 11 on, you know, but what he did have is three years with Jesus. He had intimacy with Jesus. And I'm so worried about our today's day and age that our culture, we don't even know what the word intimacy even is. We don't. That's a good point. You know, according to scripture, according to a lot of things, intimacy is, it means to be known, to be made known, to be vulnerable, almost a spiritual, you know, almost a spiritual nakedness and vulnerability that you are going to God. And what blows my mind is, you know, I was having a conversation with an individual. She, uh, she runs this organization called Naomi's house in, in the Chicagoland area. And they, they really support and they house and they uh, help um, abused women, you know, bruised and battered women. Uh, they're doing great work. I was having a conversation and, you know, she, we were talking about this idea of orphans and we were talking about this idea of children who, who did have a great relationship with their father uh, and their mother for that matter. And she was saying that one of the most common things when it comes to orphans is, uh, a lot of times they believe that they have to fend things for themselves, right? They, they're very protective over what they have. Um, the, the last people that they'll go to for help will be their foster parents or the parents that adopted them. You know, a child and um, his or her parents will be that it's active communication. Uh, they're, they're, t- they're talking constantly. They bring the troubles to them. We have, we have made it a habit in our church that a lot of times is we have to figure out ourselves this, this spiritual aspect or this, this holiness concept, we, we have to figure that out by ourselves through books, podcasts, reading the Bible. And maybe this is a little controversial, but I have actually found that we, a lot of times in the Western Christian world, we make the Bible our idol. Um, we make the Bible again, our idol, um, that we, we study it so much. And, and growing up in the church, we're told that, you know, this is God, and it is. I'm not. I'm not dismissing the the legitimacy and the sovereignty of the Bible. That's not what I'm doing here. But what I do know is that God wants one thing with every single one of us, and that's intimacy. And a lot of times, idolizing Scripture, a lot idolizing even certain theologians, can lead to us having an orphan relationship with a Father who wants to love us unconditionally, who wants to be made known to us, and and make Himself known to us. 
we have an orphanage relationship with the father to where, you know, we try to fend for ourselves. We think that we have to, you know, do this and we have to do that. And what I've learned, my friend, is the Holy Spirit has been teaching me a lot this year of, dude, just stop trying. Like, stop trying. Just be, be still. Be my son. Just hang out. Right. Just be just have intimacy. Right. Paul yeah. says it himself. Like, I would trade everything that I absolutely have for intimacy with Jesus. That's what I want. Right. And, I, you know, I don't know where, where it says in scripture, but I know the words that he says. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, I, I think we got to we got to be careful, man. We got to watch out because at the end of the day, you know, we say it all the time. Satan doesn't want to destroy us. He wants to distract us. Um, and not all good growth is, you know, not all growth is good growth. You know, <laughs> a lot you know, you, church, your pastors today, man, if you're, if your congregation is growing, hmm, that could be the exact thing that Satan wants. Yeah. You no, know? because hey, you know, cancer grows too. It, that's, that's a very good point. And I, I think to make a distinction for a lot of the people, but listening, you know, every time you see the Bible, you talk about idolatry. I think the, the bigger narrative there is people's idea of what they think has to be the right way. Um, I'm not talking about um, things that are, that are completely untrue. Like Jesus wasn't the son of God. I'm not talking about that. Like the Bible, um, we were to worship God and the Bible gives us, um, gives us understanding of how to do that and how we ought to act and how we ought to serve God. But above all of that, we believe it's the Holy spirit that gives life to those pages. It's not just, you know, something because otherwise if there's no Holy spirit behind the Bible, it's just a bunch of words written by people, flawed people like the Bible even depicts. And even though some of those people, like you said, uh, the apostle Peter, uh, they had some of the old Torah writings. They had a lot of that stuff, but they didn't like, were they any less Christians because they didn't have the new Testament to read? Uh, no. And, and, you know, in, even in that time, but even them walking with Jesus, we're, we're just now coming out of the church calendar of Easter. Look at even Peter deny Jesus three times. They all abandoned him at, at the, at the end of his, of his death. And I think sometimes we think that we would be different, you know, because we have the luxury of knowing what, eventually happened. And I, I think it's hubris to put ourselves in, the, in those positions. And I think what you're getting at too is who is at the center of our lives? Is it, is it our idea of what God should be? Is it us and what God should do for us? I, I one of the guys at work, uh, he said he, he wrote, he, uh, he read a devotional uh, a couple of weeks ago that said that, you know, God does not exist to improve our lives. And I'm like, oh, but like, how many times have, do I think that you know, it's like, God, I just need you to help me out here. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I think it's, it's a lot of it is spiritual maturity. Like the best way I could describe it is like, you know, think about it when you're six or seven years old, like all you care about is drinking your Capri Sun and watching SpongeBob when you're <laughs> 16 or 17, fast forward 10 years, you know, you, all you care about is hanging out with your friends, right? Like going on a date with that girl that you like, or, you know, going to the movies or going to the mall, you know? Um, and then something happens right? Something happens for people. It happens a lot earlier. And for others, it never happens, but something happens. And that's called maturity. And maturity happens when all of a sudden you stop thinking about what you want and you start thinking about what your parents want. What are their interests? You know, how can I align with their heart? Uh, How can I see things from my parents angle? How can I see things from their perspective? That's maturity. There are a lot of Christians today who think that they're spiritually mature because of how much they do. But I would argue they're not actually mature at all because a, a lot of what they're doing, first and foremost, God didn't ask them to do that. I think the, the harsh reality 
or the beautiful reality that so many Christians need to accept is that God doesn't need them. Um, he doesn't. And there's, and I see it in every church I've, I've gone to. And I've been to a lot, you know, you're a preaching ambassador. All of that. I was a music ambassador. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I don't mean to toot my own horn here, but I believe I still hold the record for most amount of church visits. You know, <laughs> yes. I think that number was 54 in my career. So, I mean, e- even outside of that, I've been to a lot of churches, man. And every church has that one person that just does everything. Yeah. You know, they're, they're the youth pastor, they're the children's pastor, they're, you know, and, and for me, it's like, man, I look at that and that's great. But is that a byproduct of true intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Or is it because they feel like God needs them, the church needs them, or they feel like they have to do this, or they feel, you know, and, and I think a lot of people need to be honest with themselves, right? So that maturity happens, you start aligning with God's desires and God's wants and God's needs. And you start going, God, connect my heart with yours, let me align with your, your will, your desires, you know, and not even just with stuff like world hunger or human sex trafficking. Absolutely. That's a need, but I'm talking about the people that you see on a day-to-day basis. Right. You know, so for me, you know, I have, I'm married, I have a wife named Lisa and, you know, about six to eight months ago, I started asking God, not only just to see her the way God sees her, but to have a heart for her the same way that God has a heart for her. Um, because, you know, I need to, what for me, I'm a weak man, right? Like I need to tap into God's strength when it comes to compassion and love. Um, that's what I, that's what we're, that's what I need to do. And secondly, that's what we're called to do, uh, is to tap into that. So, you know, a lot of people, they tap into different things. Again, they tap into the Bible, they tap into theology, they tap into Christian rap music, they tap into Bible study, but, a lot of times what they don't tap into is the Holy spirit. Uh, they don't tap into the man himself. Um, and again, that worries me. That really worries me because it, it cheapens what it was supposed to be. Yeah. And cause you have to, I mean, at the end of the day, all of us are going to have to answer to God. What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with my son? That's the, that's the end of, of it all. How you answer that question is going to determine how you live your life. And I think what you're, you're getting at is, again, motive. You're, you're getting after motive. Not that the actions of people are wrong, but what's your motive behind it? Are you doing it for yourself? Are you, are you doing it because you think it's going to be helpful? Or are you doing it because that's what God told you to do? And when you have that type of peace, oh my gosh, how, how life can be full of so many joys and, and just like free of worries. And, and, not, and, and I would say free of fear, which is one of the biggest motivators in anything that we do. Uh, instead of actually fearing God, you know, having reference for God. So as, as you were, as you were around wrestling with all of this and we again have built our friendship, you know, we met, you know, if we're going back, we've had these types of discussions you know, from the very beginning. And I met you in the summer of 2012 on the campus of Olivet Nazarene university in uh, Chapman hall, as we were, you know, just going around trying to figure out what the heck yeah, this man. whole freshman orientation thing is. Shout, shout out to John Boss. It's not a shout out to former roommates. Um, what led you there? How did you go from where you are? You're in Chicago, but, um, you know, as yeah. far as Jake, your home base, but how did you find your way there considering yeah, your heritage and where you've come from and where your family's from? Yeah, my, my parents made me go, um, <laughs> you know, and then, and then like, you know, like they, they kind of gave me the options like, well, you could stay. And then I, I realized that there's a lot of pretty girls there. So I stayed. Um, 
you know what I mean? Like I didn't date any of them just because I was so focused on, you know, building a business and building other things. Uh, but it was, I mean, they were nice to look at, uh, which, you know, I, I just got, I actually just came back from a men's retreat. We talked about, you know, the, the worst four letter word in, in church, you know, which is not the F word. It's actually, you know, it's porn. Right. Um, you know, we talked about that. We could, we could talk about that for, for hours and why that's not talked about in the church. Right. Which a lot of times is because the pastors don't want to talk about it because they're, they're the one, you know, ones yeah. addicted it. They came out and, and they became vulnerable. Then guess what? They're fired, which sucks. Right. We're not even allowing our pastors to be one of our flock. Um, so, you know, anyways, you know, went, went to the message, but that's how I ended up at all of that. Um, and a lot of the thoughts that we're talking about here, you know, I was, I was running and gunning. And then, you know, after I graduated, I realized I was running very quickly, but I was running in the wrong direction. Uh, and I actually had to put myself out of the institutional church and institutional religion in general to, to seek what God really wanted for me, the relationship that God really wanted to have with me. Because I think our, our collegiate institution that you and I went to, I, you know, it's a great school. You know, I mean, if you're a parent listening and, and you're thinking about whether or not you should send your kids there, absolutely. Yeah. You should send your kids there. But like any other institution, there's pros and cons, right? And, and one yeah. of the things that I feel that all of it was very good at was creating a, a culture creating guidelines as to what they believe a relationship with Jesus Christ looked like. And after I left and after the Holy spirit took a hold of my heart and he says, all right, like you're going to actually start following me now. Uh, I realized that there were some differences. Um, but of course, I, you know, if it wasn't for that school, you and I wouldn't have met, man. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It, yeah. It's a college and, and they talk about a whole other constant, like uh, constant conversation that's being had in a lot of the homes of, of, listeners but just general americans is is school and education and what that should look like and what role it should play in our lives how do parents play a role and i, I think that's something again comes back to the church of course i, I think olivet is if, if you believe I, i'm not saying this but if you believe that college is a money laundering scheme or is a waste of time or as an indoctrination camp. I, I like to just put it at the worst. Let me let me play devil's advocate and think it's the worst example. I think Olivet for me is the best place then to send your kids if you believe that college is all that. Now I don't believe college is all that, of course. I believe that stuff happens. I think we've seen a lot of news stories over the years that's proven that. Uh, but I, Olivet was was a place that you could be around other people who were. I mean, just as vulnerable as you are, just as confused. And if you could find a group of friends that have the same values, and we're talking about values, stuff that doesn't change over time. We, yes, going deeper in the maturation process, that's going to happen, hopefully, if the Holy Spirit has a hold of your life. And we look back thinking, oh, I was such an idiot. Like, oh my gosh, I was such a hot-headed person. I was, and I'm speaking to myself, so arrogant, so sure of myself, and I was completely lost, right? But that's how, that's just, that's that age. That's just who we are. But the beauty was, is that we weren't alone in that struggle. We weren't at some state school having to worry about whether or not my roommate was going to come back uh, that night um, stoned or out of his mind if I was going to find him and a few girls in my room, or I was worried about somebody getting hauled out um, because of violent situations like that just wasn't there. And when you can have that type of environment, it can foster a place of camaraderie and community. And that's the, some, that's what I appreciate about all of it. But for you and I to actually have, have met there, that's what I think is so cool because we're from different backgrounds. 
um, and, you know, different, different cultures. And yet we bonded over this kind of like the silliness sometimes of life. And one of the things I met about you, like when, when I met you at orientation, it was like, okay, there was that one kid like, oh, so when I show up in August, I went, Dan, right? Is it Dan, Daniel, Quack? What do you want to call you? Oh, okay. So we knew each other, but then as the, the months go on, I get to know you more and you had this goal. And I still remember we were in, we were in uh, the cafeteria and in Ludwig, for those who are listening, who are Alvet people, uh, you said you had a goal to be a millionaire someday. And you're, you're a freshman. I'm a freshman. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool, man. But I remember specifically people in circles when I'd say, hey, do you know Daniel Kwok and his brother Sam? They're like, oh, yeah. And there was always this, this intrigue of why does he want to be a millionaire? Because at a Christian university, you can't want money. You can't want to have goals. So can, can you describe just a little bit of some of the kind of like this going against the grain mentality you had? Cause you were not like the stereotypical college student that you were just, you're flying off the cuff. You'd say stuff that it's like, Oh boy, don't say that too loud. Quack. You're going to get yourself in trouble. I, can you describe that time of how yeah. you just like, where did that come from within you? Where did that goal come from? Yeah. Um, yeah. I see money very differently today than, than I did you know, when I was 18, 19 years old, yeah. I, I said that to you when I was a freshman, because I think I liked what money could do for me. Um, you know, I grew up really poor, right. For those people who don't know my story. And I, I, a lot of it probably came from that, but overall it was just, it was just a byproduct statement of, I just wanted to be successful. You know, I, I just hated the idea of average. Um, and, and I just told myself at that age, like, you know what, no matter what I do, I just want to be considered world-class like I was really intrigued by that idea of being just one of the best in the world at what I did. And it didn't, you know, matter what it was, right. It could have been running a private equity firm, you know, or it could have just been, you know, how far I could throw a stone, you know, um, it, it didn't matter to me, but I, you know, I, that, that's probably a lot of times where it came from. What changed in between is I realized that um, when it comes to money, um, I saw a lot of people have very unhealthy relationships with money, whether they had a lot of it or a little of it. Um, so I'll say a statement that is maybe it's a little controversial. And, you know, at this point, if your listeners are saying that's what we expect from this get this dude, um, <laughs> I don't believe in tithing. Uh, the reason why I don't believe in tithing is because I believe that many Christians today love giving 10% because they don't want God touching the other 90 um, and I have come to a place and I, I'm, I'm, I've made peace with it. And I believe I'm still in the, I'm still learning. Right. Cause at the end of the day, I'm sure I'll listen to this podcast 10 years from now and been like, wow, that kid, <laughs> you know, um, you have the Liberty to be human. Okay. You have the liberty sure. to be Yeah, human. absolutely. You know? Um, but that's what I believe. I believe that a lot of people just love giving 10 because they don't want God getting, you know, touching the other 90. And I've come with the peace that everything I own, everything that I have is at God's disposal. Like I, it, it, people, there are people in the church who say that, right. But I, I have been to a place where um, I've seen a lot of people just be absolutely controlled and diluted by money. Because a lot of people will say a certain thing, but once once it stares them right in the face, that temptation, uh, I don't know. I don't know what many people will do. But, you know, I've gotten to a place where that's genuinely where I believe. Um, 
you know, I make a lot of money, you know, at 26, I have probably more money than a 26 year old can even imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the fact that I still drive the same car I drove in high school that, you know, I'm able to more so take care of my employees and my flock. Right. And it's at God's disposal. If God is, you know, t- is telling me to write a check for $50,000 to a certain organization, then I don't hesitate. And there's so much freedom that comes from that. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a mistake that money was the second most thing that Jesus talked about. Right. Number one was the kingdom. Number two was money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe yeah. number three was uh, love. Right. Yeah. And, and cause I think, you know, he knew Jesus knew what money had the capabilities. And if you think about it, money represents to a lot of people what God represents, right? Yeah. yeah. God is supposed to represent uh, love. It's, he's supposed to represent security. Well, guess what love is? is uh, what, guess what our society tells us that love represents? It, it tells us to represent security. Hey, if you have enough money, if you accumulate, if you hoard enough, um, you'll be set for life. Uh, if you, you know, if you buy people things, they'll love you. Or if you write checks, they'll make you look like a good person and you will receive love in that regard. And yeah, that put, put your name on a building. Well, oh, we'll yeah. make sure you get the VIP section. You're, you're talking about something again. Yeah. I don't say controversial, but you're, you are, you are in a fat, in a sense, tithing. You're not doing it in the traditional, I would say the, the traditional American, uh, upbringing, uh, way of doing it because in a society that is influenced a lot by money and finances and the American dream and what you should do. And if you do this amount of things and you'll be happy if you have saved this amount of money and it's, you know, what's funny about it? it has nothing to do with God. None of that has to do with God. And the idea that if I, once I give 10%, I don't have to give 11 like, or the, not even 90, like the other 90, like, well, I, I wrote that $500 check a month because that's what my 10% is. Cause I'm only living on this and God doesn't know my God understands my circumstances. So he can't ask for, for more because I got this payment, this payment, this payment, and I got this, this credit card debt I got to pay off. You have all these things. And so the idea of giving 11%, sometimes for some people that that could be the idol, that 10% yeah. could be an I, idol in reverse. It's like, well, it's I'm a pride never thing too. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, let, let's ask this question. Why does God want us to tithe? Let's ask that question, right? Well, why does he want us to tithe? Because he doesn't need the money, right? I mean, scripture says, right, in, in the Old Testament, right, he owns cattle on a thousand hills. You know, those are the words of, of Solomon, actually. So he doesn't need the money. Why does he want us to tithe? Yeah, there's there's so many different uh, different questions when it comes to that, and that's that's like the one talk about something we don't talk about. Uh, and having a pastor educates its flock on the fact of hey, so tithing is really good. It's actually something since I, I've started uh, started pastoring. It's I haven't talked once about it. Um, it's the faithfulness of the people and allowing God to direct them. And you know this better than anyone, considering the business uh, that you're in. And anyone who's also a Christian, we have seen the ravages of what happens when you worship money and what it can do to people, especially a lot of it. And you have big churches, you have a lot of money, you have a lot of payroll. Um, and I'm not saying that big churches um, you know, are not good. It's that they have a much greater burden than small churches. Like, like my church, for example, our budget's 50000 a year. That that's, that's some churches a month, monthly budget. And that that's something that can be very difficult when you're dealing with a lot of finances. And, you know, personally, when you start, you know, you know, 
kind of reaching into the hands of the pocketbook, it can turn a lot of people off saying, well, what's the fruit here? So your pastor can drive a Ferrari. Is that why I'm tithing to this hmm. church? Why does the church need that? And so if you're as a church, a good steward, they don't really, that's not a word we use very often either. Stewardship. Um, what is the church doing with the money? Is it actually investing it into the community? Is it actually helping? Like you said, how about those orphans? What don't we, aren't we supposed to take care of the widows and the orphans? What are we doing there? So there's a lot of things like, well, and I can understand it's like, well, wait a minute, can I even trust the church with my money? And that is a hard question to answer. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I really struggled with that when we were first getting, when we first got married, because mm-hmm. you know, my wife's you know, like, she's not poor, right? Like she, she worked a really pretty well-esteemed job before we got married. And then, you know, one of the things that we talked about was she was like, I just don't feel comfortable giving to the church because it's like, on one hand, I have this nonprofit organization that wants, you know, my money and they're directly working with the actual source. Right. Whereas on the other hand, like I give money to the church and where does that money go? Well, it pays for utilities. It pays for their mortgage. It pays for, you know, I don't know, like, which, where do I give, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, my rule of thumb is like, if you genuinely believe that the money is God's, you will never have to worry about that question, you know? <laughs> and then same thing with church, right? Like if, if you're, yeah. if your church is not receiving quote unquote enough revenue or enough tithe, then I would question whether or not you truly believe that God is your father because Jesus says it himself, what type of father allows their children to starve? Right. I mean, you know, he, he says, he says uh, in Matthew, um, in the, in the passage, Matthew chapter six. Right. It's like the, the look, look how the lilies. Right. Not even Solomon was dressed in all, you know, in all his splendor. Look, you know, how, how you know, does not God, does God not feed them? You know, and it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, imagine if you had a daughter, Michael, and, you know, you were driving with with your daughter and your daughter just kept looking over your shoulders. Like, hey, do we do we have enough gas? You know, dad, do we have enough gas? Do we have do we or hey, you're still going to you're still going to drop me off at that recital three months from now. Right. Or, or hey, do we have enough food? Your reaction as a father is going to be, dude, slow your roll. Like, I got it. Do you not trust me? If anything, you'd be offended. But how normal is it for our churches to go, Father, we have this need, you know, and, and this need is not for another three months. But I, we pray that you would provide and, you know, we invite your spirit into this place and, you know, all this, which, you know, for me, it's crazy, right? Because the spirit is supposed to be within you out into the, and out into the, to the world. It's supposed to be internal towards external, not the other way around. Right. But anyways, so they go, oh, Father, we pray that our church's finances will be sorted out and we're, we're building this new building. We pray the fundraiser will go well and all this stuff. And it's just like, hmm, like if you're not raising enough money for this new building, maybe God doesn't want you to have a new building. <laughs> have you ever thought about that? You know, maybe that's not what he wants. But apparently, you know, Christianity nowadays has, has, has gotten from what God wants and it's kind of gotten to what we want, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, if you could trust the church and the leadership, I, I think, you know, tithing wouldn't be something you'd have to talk about. Uh, now I'm not talking about like, Hey, so our giving's down and we need more money type of situation. I'm talking about, Hey, let's talk about tithing. Not so I can get you guys to tithe, but like, why do we mention it in Christianity? Why do we take an offering? How, how many, how many Christians do you think could actually answer? Why does the church take an offering? They could answer maybe the like what it's for, like the ag. Well, the money goes into this fund to do this. But the question is, but why is the church asking? Yeah. For it? Like, what's what's the biblical purpose of it? 
uh, I don't know if I don't even know if I could give a meaningful well, you know, the, answer. The, the irony is that that's the that's the biggest turnoff for people outside yeah. of the church. Money, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, like they just we just go there and they just ask us for money. Yeah, right. And, yeah. Here's and here's another question for you. How, how many believers, if I asked them, hey, uh, according to the words of Jesus, what did he say actually meant for you to be a disciple? Like, what does it actually mean for you to follow Jesus? What, what does Jesus actually say? How many Christians would answer that question? Yeah. I it, don't know. It's, you know? And it comes back to just a lack of education. And, and the thing is, if you're approaching these topics and you're being afraid, like, who wants us to be afraid? Who, who causes us to benefit when you when you keep things like this and you're like, well, you probably shouldn't talk about money because that might be make people uncomfortable. And I don't want to, I don't want to stir the pot. It's not godly things. You know, if if you're, if you have confidence in leadership in your church or your organization, and you believe that they are submitting themselves to God, there's what's to worry about saying, okay, let's talk about uh, the, the gift of sacraments in tithing today. Let's actually talk about it and do so in a very healthy way. And say, well, here's what, you know, here's what the law talked about in the Old Testament. And here's what Jesus said in the New Testament. And let's try to figure out why the church asked for him. And guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to guide and direct you and how you do that. But you have to be submitting to his law and his will first. Not what I should tell you, not your pastor, not what I, your brother or sister should do. And guess what? Some of you you know, physically might not be able to give X amount of money every single month, but some people might be, might feel the need, you know, in a situation like yours to give more or give in a way that helps the church, but that's not necessarily giving to the institution. And, you know, it's just hard. You're bringing up such good points that I don't want to put any of my eggs in just in one basket. It comes back to motive and who, who is at the center of your decision-making? Yeah, man, God just, God just wants intimacy with you, man. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want it. As a matter of fact, you know, it's, when, when, when you desire to connect with God and you say full heartedly, like, Hey man, I'm going to go after you. You know, a lot of things just happen as a byproduct, you know, how much, what you give, you know, your addictions, you know, your personality, a lot of it just, it, it naturally just happens. There's no way, like I mean, I'm one of my favorite authors uh, and a friend of mine, right. It's, it's a guy named Bob Goff. And um, you know, he says all the time that the, the power of Jesus Christ can, can only affect you 0% or a hundred percent. There's no in between, right? It, yeah. it can, it, you can't, you can't just do some, right? Like if you, if you're only some, that's not the, that's not, that's not the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's your disciplines. That's your desire just to be a better person and a good Christian boy scout or girl scout. Um, that's you, right? That's you. That's not, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not God. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's how the Bible depicts in Revelations talking about in the idea that at the end, uh, that there's not really going to be people on the fence like ah, that Jesus guy. I just don't know. You're either, I mean, Jesus is the one who said you're either with, with me or against me. <laughs> that type of language gets you in trouble nowadays. The people yeah. don't like that type of black and white. Uh, no, you're either with Jesus or you're not. It's that simple. So like, that's a very biblical way of looking at it. Yeah, hundred percent, like hundred percent or nothing. It's it's what are you doing with the person of Christ? And you know, as we're talking about this, I can't just help but think back to some of those conversations we had at Olivet, but also, I mean, I will say personally, um, not because I agree with them, but it was always interesting hearing some of the people, some of the words that people said about you, because they didn't really know what to make of you somebody with this goal, like I said, of this million dollars, but how, how have you personally, and, and for those maybe out there who find themselves in a, maybe a, a very promising job, 
because God has blessed them. He's put them in a position where they could, you know, their gifts and talents are in a position and, and, and the worldly uh, reward is pretty high. Um, yeah. Can you, can you like, how, how do you deal with maybe criticism for, for chasing after uh, success? There's nothing wrong with that. Again, where's your heart? Where's your motive? But how do you, and what's your advice for other people who are really being challenged? Like, Hey, you're just a sellout or, Hey, you just love money. And don't you read the Bible, how the love of money is the root of all evil. How do you deal with that type of criticism? Yeah. Um, that's a very good question. You know, every single part of me just wants to dry my tears with Benjamin's, but I'm not going to do that because, <laughs> you know, I'm not a rapper, but, um, that's a very interesting question, man. There's a lot of, there was a lot of controversy that happened at all of that actually, when you and I were students, my friend, involving our university president, there was a lot of controversy around a particular event that happened and it was, it, it triggered, I remember it triggering a conversation about money and everyone thought they had the answer. Let me, let me, let me share something with you. Oh yeah. Uh, until you're in a position where you have a lot of it uh, and, and you are so tempted by it um, in terms of what it could do, man, I don't know, there's a lot of people that can understand that position. Um, cause you know, you know, I, I had a mentor tell me, it's like, you know, money is, doesn't change you. It just shows you who you were the entire time. Um, and that's absolutely true, man. I, a part of me wish that every Christian received a million dollar stimulus check right now, which by the way, at the rate of our politics, that may very well be the case, <laughs> but like, I, I, I genuinely wish, I really wish that every Christian received a million dollars because then we would see who they really were the whole entire time. Right. Um, I, I really wish that would happen. But in terms of in terms of my struggle and, and you know, my message to everyone out there who, who is doing well for themselves, uh, for one, too much is given, much is expected flat out. Right. Yeah. Like that, that. That's the message of Jesus. And, and by the way, Jesus wasn't all about, you know, social equality. He wasn't about that. He matter of fact, he has spoken many parables, one parable being the parable of the talents where he took the one talent that the servant had gave it to the one with 10, right? Imagine that that's, it's, that's similar to seeing somebody that makes $50,000 a year and then seeing somebody that makes half a million dollars a year and saying, Hey, we're going to take all 50,000 from this poor or middle-class individual right here. And we're going to give it to the dude that makes half a million dollars a year. Right? So it's very clear that, that Jesus wasn't about that. Um, but what I do believe, again, it, it all goes back, I think, you know, to the heart, where's your heart at? And I will say that money a lot of times can be the biggest distraction to you pursuing Jesus intimately, because when you're making a lot of money, dude, you think you have all the answers. You think you've got it all. You know, you, you think that you are the bee's knees, the cat's pajamas, you know, you, you think you're everything. Um, and I have certainly been there, right? I remember how arrogant I used to be, you know, when I was in my early twenties, right? I'm in my late twenties now, but I remember how arrogant I used to be being in my early twenties, making, making a good chunk of change. Um, and, and I thought, again, I was just the guy, right? Because not only was I, you know, making, making you know, well for myself, but I'm young. I'm, I'm, I go to church. I'm a good, I'm a good Christian, man. Like what, you know, at the time I was single and I remember thinking to myself, man, what girl wouldn't want me, you know, like I'm, I'm all this, I'm all that. But I will tell you, whenever you ask me a very serious question about Jesus, I had all the right answers. I had all the right Sunday school answers. I had all the right answers that, you know, the, the people in the circle of church, you know, say, um, you know, I had it all, man. And, and, you know, it wasn't until God, you know, spoke into my life and he said, 
hey, man, you're running really fast. Like, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, oh, thanks, God. You know, I, I know I'm, I'm running. And he's like, I just wish you would run in the right direction. And I was just like, oh, my, you know what I mean? And that was just a, a knife right into oh. Um, and that's, and that's the reality of the situation, man. I know a lot of good, good boy scout, Christian businessmen who they just do all the right things, right? They got their wives, their kids, they tie it to their church. They sit on the elder board. Um, you know, they, they check all the boxes, right? Uh, all, all the, a lot of times, all the boxes, except God telling them, did you do what I tell you to do today? Um, you know, are you actually following me? You know, you could recite all the scripture, but, you know, I tell you not to worry and you worry all the time. Or, you know, did you pray for your enemies? Do you love those who persecute you? Do you actually do what I tell you to do? Um, and, and, you know, again, history repeats itself, right? We, and, you know, I think, and you, you know better, you know, than I would, but, you know, didn't we at one point in the book of Deuteronomy or something like that, we had like 596 something laws, right? Yeah, the 613 laws of Moses. That was what Perfect, we, right? Yeah. So we have 613 laws out of 10 commandments. Uh, and then Jesus comes and he says, here, let me make it simpler for you guys. Two, right? That's all we got. We've got two. Lo love God and equally love your neighbor as yourself. And now we have turned that into a whole freaking culture of Christianity where not only we have different denominations, but we condemn and we judge those who think differently, eat differently, sleep differently, drink differently, and who live differently. And, uh, it's just so amazing how we go from 10 to 613, Jesus comes, you know, and the restoration happens and we go from two to something much, much bigger. And, you know, here we are again, we, 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 all of us to some degree are modern day Pharisees. Um, so I don't know, man, do, do, with, uh, do with that what you will. But. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, I mean, if you're chasing after God and he has you on your path, I mean, that's the thing too. No one can live your life better than you. And, God's created you and he's asking you to follow him and he's going to lead you on the path that does that. It's a way that he created you. It's that simple. I can't live your life. I don't have your gifts and talents. So therefore I can't have the same impact as you, as you, no matter how much I kick against the wind, I just can't. And I think other people, what ultimately the envy and that jealousy comes down saying, God, why couldn't I be that person? Not that that person is doing it wrong, but that I should I deserve then somehow the same shot or it's this entitlement of why can't I be the person making a lot of money? Because I, I swear, God, I'll, I'll be selfless with it. I'll, I'll give it away. I, you know, I, I can live on 10% of, you know, a couple million a year and like all this. So they continue to put themselves at the center. And when Jesus says, you're going to be hated because of me, you know, and they hated, they hated like the idea that they hate us. Well, they hated Christ. They crucified him. And it wasn't even the world that did it. The church did it. So we don't even have to look outside the church to be hated sometimes. Yeah. And, and if we're all modern day Pharisees, uh, we were the first people to throw mud at each other. We don't have to wait for the world to do that. And I, I think for, for people who are Christians, it's kind of like this idea you're signing up. If you, if you want to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus, you are signing up to be hated. And that is not an easy mission. But it's very, it's very tempting to want to be liked. And when yeah. you have money uh, and you want to use that for nefarious reasons, I would say for reasons that aren't of the heavenly kingdom, you can buy your hat, you can buy approval and be liked by all sides 
because some churches will come to you saying, hey, so you're kind of important. Uh, let me talk about this proposal we need because we need a new parking lot. We need a new roof. And then you have yeah. people from the outside starting saying, hey, you know, I have this business opportunity for us. So it is it is a burden and yeah. not any person, in my opinion, not any just any person can deal with that burden. I have a tough time, man, being vulnerable with pastors. I really do. You know, like I, it's very few. There's very I could probably count in one hand, the amount of pastors I have an intimate relationship with. Cause a lot of pastors, they, they do see me as an asset. Um, like I remember, I remember like going out to lunch with this one pastor and he's like, Daniel, like he just blatantly asked me, he's like, Daniel, how much do you make a year? And oh, I was like, like uh, I, I make, yeah, I was like, I make this much. And he's like, I'm just asking for that percentage of that. Like, I'm just asking for this small of a percentage of that number. Um, and I just, I don't know, man. It was just, ah, man, I, I think. Yeah. Describe, how does that make you feel for those other people? What, what does that, in that moment, when, when he asked you that question, he or she asked you that? Yeah. How do you feel? Yeah. You know, I, I, it's just so inauthentic uh, for, for me, at least, you know, I'm, and, and what's interestingly enough is just, uh, <laughs> I was like, I did the kind of typical Sunday school answer. I was like, oh, you know, what? I'll pray about it. Uh, you know, I, I'll pray about it because it's not my money. You know, obviously, let me pray about it. And pastor's like, oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely, Daniel. You know, and I'll pray with you. Yeah. Well, it does, I mean, it, I can't help but think does, it makes you feel like an object, right? Not a person. Yeah, 100%. Think about this too, man. Like when Jesus came down to bring the kingdom, and by the way, um, I think a lot of people confuse what the kingdom of God actually is. Uh, the kingdom of God is not church. Let's be very clear about that. Um, it, it's, if you, according to scripture, if you really look into it, the way Jesus describes the kingdom of God is, is God's rule in our individual lives. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's God's right to reign in our hearts, our minds, our soul, and everything that we do, our bodies, even right. God's right to reign. That is, that is the kingdom. The, the, you would imagine that if Jesus thought like a lot of these pastors, he wouldn't go after these kids who were teenagers to be his disciples um he would have gone after the rich roman rulers right like he would have gone he would have tried to curry favor with them but he did it because he he had in his back of his mind he knew what his father was capable of like he didn't need any any money whatsoever i wish our pastors today all of them right because i have met some who genuinely do think like this right who genuinely not only think like but they live it which is hard it's hard to rely on God. You know, I've got a friend of mine, man, who he's got four kids and he doesn't have any income. He just right. relies on, he just relies on God. He's like, I just wake up and, and I, I just do what God tells me to do. Dude, that is hard. And he's not a dumb guy, right? Like he ran a very successful business when he was my age, you know, and, and God instructed him to sell it and then live the way that he's living now. But I wish all pastors thought like this, where they genuinely believe that they had a God who would take care of them, who will take care of their church. Who will take care of their kids, right? If, if you're a parent listening to this podcast, please hear me. God loves your kids more than you do. That, that is the truth, that God loves your kids more than you love your own kids. And, and he doesn't want to see them go hungry more than you do. That's, that's the reality. And same thing with pastors, right? The God loves the people in your congregation more than you could ever love them, right? He cares more about your church than you could ever care for. The reality is, is, you know, you'll be gone. You'll, you'll be here today, gone tomorrow. God will still be there. Right. But I genuinely wish that a lot of pastors today believe 
that they had a God who was capable of everything. When Jesus had to feed the 5,000, you know what he didn't, you know, he, you know what he didn't do? He didn't hold a car wash to raise funds, to buy enough food to feed those 5,000 people. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't, what, what did, he didn't do a car wash. He didn't do a garage sale. He didn't do no bake sale. He didn't do no Easter egg hunt. He didn't do any of that. He didn't do, you know, or worship night to raise money for our Guatemalan mission trip. He didn't do any of that. You know what he did do is if you look in the scriptures and right, I love what Jesus says, right? Like you, you don't know the power because you don't know the scriptures. So he literally takes a boy with two pieces of fish and five loaves of bread. And you know what he does? He takes it. He lifts it. He just gave thanks. That's all he did. Right. That's what the scripture says. He took it and he gave thanks. And how often, man, how often, man, when we lack something, how often do we give thanks? How often do we give thanks to God and say, father, Thank you for a little we have. Um, and that's and that's how that's how it happened. He gave thanks and, and it multiplied. It multiplied. Imagine if we had the mentality with everything, right? That, that we genuinely believed, we lived it out, that we served a God and we were loved by a God. And in ways that is incomprehensible, um, we lived in a way where that God, that dude who created everything, by the way, once uh, is for us, is on our side. Who, who wants every little piece of our interest, who wants the best for us, who wants to be taken care of, uh, but at the same time wants intimacy with us, uh, who wants to gather us like a hen would with their, you know, with their chicks. Um, yeah. I don't know what animal he used, but. <laughs> um, when we, everything you're talking about right now, it, it takes me back to our preaching ambassador and music ambassador days. Um, one of the trips I took was in Wisconsin. I'll never, ever forget it that by all metrics, this, this church and this pastor was doing it wrong. I remember that they, uh, they had an adopted, uh, adopted kid who was deaf and was trying to learn sign language, but he was, you know, he's from, he was from Asia. So he didn't, wasn't really familiar with any sort of American customs or anything. I mean, he was young enough where you could pick up certain things. And, and so they, they're fostering this kid. You know, he's in his like fifties, uh, uh, probably approaching his sixties, their adult daughter staying with him, you know, and she's helping the mom get their, uh, get dinner around because I'm there, you know, they're hosting me. Uh, and, Here's the, the pastor of the church on a Saturday night comes out of his back room. The, the, their, their foster child is, is making a ruckus uh, because, you know, he's just, he's being a, like a three-year-old kid and he picks him up while he has the you know, phone on his ear as he's doing his day job, trying to, you know, get the, the bills paid. And I, it was this moment like where you just sit back, you know, it's one of those, those moments in like a TV or, or movies where like the camera like just focuses right on that character. And I'm thinking, this is the church right here, what this guy is doing. Because he got up the next morning and I went to the church and it was really cold. The heat was not working in the church because they had some problems. That's another challenge that's on the pastor who's not hardly earning anything because the church only had 11 members. And I'm thinking everything in America that I've, I was, you know, taught not necessarily explicitly, but about money, about success, about how the church is, this is all a failure. 
And looking back now, I almost cry because I'm like, I was so full of judgment. I was so full of, of, of ignorance. I'm thinking that's the church <laughs> because those people have nothing to gain in, a, in and of themselves. They are there to do the Lord's work and it is an ugly mess sometimes. And I long for that. And everything that you've been talking about here, the, in your interactions, the things that you've seen, it's like, that's what I, my frustrations are as well with influence of the American dream, money, success, pride, fame, all this stuff. And it comes back to that one moment in Wisconsin back in 2013, 2014. I'm thinking, I'll never forget that. Yeah. That sucks, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, like it, it, to be God smacked by your own, you know, hubris and thinking, wow, I was an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't, how we, how we talk about success, that's got to start changing in the church, right? It has to, but it won't. It absolutely won't. Right. I mean, Knowing, knowing humanity and where we, what we do, right, we, we tend to take the pure and the simple that Jesus gives and we make it ugly and complicated. Because um, in many ways, it's human nature for us to exalt ourselves. And the complications and the dirtiness comes when individual men and women try exalting themselves. Um, I don't know how many examples that we have to see to tell us that humans are flawed. You know, we live in a day and age where we, you know, churches expect pastors to be perfect. And this is not true. It's not true at all. Some of the most loneliest people I know are pastors. Um, yeah. And same time, ironically, some of the most loneliest people I know are CEOs, right? I mean, they, they would, so some of these people we look in society with the expectancy that they've got it all figured out, you know, it's, it's, they're the loneliest people, you know, and, and my, heart, my heart does go out to them, right? Because, you know, and I, don't, I don't blame them. That's how they grew up, you know, that's, that's, they grew up in this world. And, and there are some aspects of, you know, they believe that God had called them to this occupation. God called them to do this. Um, and I think we got to be careful, you know, because even what's saying stuff like, you know, the Lord's work. Absolutely. It is. It is the Lord's work, you know, and we, we get to take part in it. But that's what we have to remember is that we're just a part of it. Right. Like for me, my companies, right, the, the, the firms that I own, that's God's stuff. That is what God is doing. I'm just a part of it. That's it. And this is the mentality. This is, you know, this is, again, what we talked about, spiritual maturity, right? We get to a certain age where, you know, we, we think and we align our heart with what God's heart is for people and what his will is. And for me, it's just like, okay, God clearly, you know, is building this company for his desires, his mission. How can I be a part of that? That's the key. So going back to your, your friend, you know, the pastor in Wisconsin, you know, um, man, absolutely. My heart goes out, you know, and it's, it's like, it's like, you look at situations like that and you tell yourself, man, if the world had more people like that, or if everybody in the world thought like that, the world would be a better place. And I agree. Absolutely. My, my heart feels for that guy who, you know, has, has only 11 members in his church. He's I'm sure he's struggling to make ends meet. Um, and he has chosen to foster, right. Some of the most kind hearted, most amazing people I've met in my life um, don't have any funds, but they still made the decision to foster children. And I respect that so much, right? I mean, that's something that my wife and I are actually thinking about right now is, is actually fostering. Oh, really? Uh, 
Yeah. And, and every part of me wants to write a freaking $250,000 check to every single one of those individuals. But on the other hand of the spectrum, I do have to remember this aspect is that Jesus had no interest in being a nice guy. Um, you don't crucify nice guys, in my opinion. Right? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus had no interest in, quote unquote, being good. None at all. So there's a story in John 5, the pool of Bethsaida. And you know the scripture. I know the scripture. There's hundreds of people laying in this pool. right? And there's one dude. He's been there for 38 years. Jesus walks up to that guy. He goes, hey, man, do you want to get well? And, you know, the dude's like, sir, right? I'm, I don't know. I'm sure he sounded a little different. I'm sure he was like, but sir, you know, I've been trying to get into this water for 38 years and no one's going to help me. Right. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, but Jesus is just like, hey, do you want to get well? The guy gives him an excuse. And, and Jesus just says, hey, man, like pick up your mat and walk. Um, here's the reality of the situation. Let's say that, you know, scripture says there are many, right? The word many. Let's just say 300. Right. Because, you know, my, that movie was stuck in my head this morning. But let's just say 300. Right. Jesus healed one guy. Mathematically, that is 0.33 percent. Jesus had a 0.33 percent success rate in the pool of Bethsaida. By today's metric, the, he, Jesus did a horrible job. Can you imagine if we had a, a, a church initiative program, evangelical, which by the way, the word evangelism never appears in the Bible once. Jesus never even talked about evangelism. All he told people was just, hey, follow me. That's all he said. There was no sinner's prayer. There was no, hey, you got to take our membership class now that you want, if you want to follow. None of that. Jesus made following him very easy, very simple, right? Jesus leads people to Jesus. We don't lead people to nothing, right? But but looking, let's, let's, let's say there's this program in the church and it had a 0.33% success rate. You as a pastor, Michael, what are you tempted to say in the next board meeting? Yeah, we probably should abandon it because it's not a it's not a success, right? So you, you know, I would say the same thing too, man. I, if anything, I'd be like, hey, man, I'm the one writing the check. We, we have a zero point three three percent return of in, uh, return on investment. Clearly, we need to shut that thing down. But here's what Jesus focused on: Jesus had no interest in doing good. He, he just wanted to do what the father had asked him to do. That's it. Right. Yeah. Jesus, most likely, you know, what's crazy. He had to probably walk over other sick people to get to that one guy. Yeah. You know, but the reality yeah. of the situation is Jesus had no interest in doing what was good and doing what was quote unquote, right. He just wanted to do what the father told him to do. And that's it. And I, th- and I think that's the truth that a lot of individuals, a lot of American Christians need to accept. Our generation, my friend, we're very passionate. We're very passionate about social justice issues. You know, I mean, we, we, we had this whole thing with um, George Floyd and we had this whole thing with Asian hate, which I don't know. I, it made me very uncomfortable, by the way, the whole, you know, stop Asian hate thing, which I'm Asian. And it, it made me really uncomfortable. If anything, I felt bad for white people, um, <laughs> you know, because I, I told my wife, I was like, honey, I'm sorry you don't get to be a victim today. Um, you know, but I'm not saying those people are victims, but you know, two of my best friends are black, right? You know, uh, I got a buddy of mine named Melvin Johnson. You know, his name is Melo. I got another friend of mine named Daniel Harris. Like, these guys are like my brothers. And when I say intimacy, do we, you know, we're intimate with one yeah. another. We're vulnerable with one another. We're, I would take a bullet for these guys, you know? And, and, you know, I'm talking to them about this whole thing with, with racial injustice and all these things. And 
and they kind of said, we all kind of came in this and we're all believers. We all genuinely and authentically follow Jesus, you know? So we were all talking about how, you know, our generation, we're so passionate about doing what's right and doing what's good. But unfortunately, in my opinion, a lot of it, based on what I've observed, especially with our friends who may label themselves as liberal, uh, unfortunately, a lot of them have sacrificed to, you know, they, 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 in the name of doing what's good and in the name of justice, they've completely forgotten what the father wants them to do today, right? They, they, they bit it. They went around the pool. They try to heal everybody. And that's not what Jesus did. And I'm not saying what they're saying is wrong. I'm not saying, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to sway one or another. I'm not trying to say, oh, the conservatives are right or all oh, the liberals are right. That's not what I'm saying. Right. Even just in my personal life, aside, faith aside, I, I don't say I'm Republican or Democrat. You know, I say I'm not Republican, I'm not Democrat, I'm educated. Right. But, you know, it's 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 very interesting. You know, our generation of Christianity, uh, I think we're, we're very tempted because we're the first generation to be exposed to so much negativity, to so many things going around the world is our initial instinct is for us to stand up and do good. But we sacrifice the fact that it's God's doing. It's God's will. And we just take part in it. That's, that's all we're called to do. We're called to have intimacy with the father. And, and that should be a byproduct. That should, that should be uh, a response, right? Doing what we're called to do. Um, you know, and my pastor and I, we were talking how, you know, Jesus says at the end of times, right? He talks about, hey, how did you love people? And, you know, even Jesus says himself, he's like, you know, even those who did not know me, but at the same time loved those around, like they have a pretty good shot, you know? Um, I don't remember exactly what verse that is, but I know it's in there. It's one of those things. Um, but, you know, it's just for me, like I listen to all these stuff that's going on. And it's just like, wow, like, you know, um, there's a lot of distractions happening right now, you know, even amongst the church. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, there, there's so many, I mean, again, each of the topics that we're talking about could have their own episode uh, devoted to, uh, like just these general topics that you're, you're referring to. I mean, you're dealing with, I mean, you're, dif- you're dealing with just mission. Like, what does it mean to actually have a heart for God and actually search out him? Like, what's the goal of the church? What's the role of Christians? You're talking about what the role of politics in our society. How, how do you address things? How do we gauge success? And uh, just to your point about that whole success rate of, you know, let's say one out of 300. I mean, the gospel of Luke, I mean, Jesus even says, you know, greater like there'll be more joy in heaven over the repentance of one sinner versus 99 uh, righteous people who don't need repentance. And it's putting the emphasis on the fact that if you take that and you look at Jesus as and described as like the good shepherd, he leaves the 99 and finds the one because he finds just the one valuable. And it, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to tear up on this podcast, Dan, but it just, um, you know, as a pastor now, to think that anyone would say, and I'm not saying it's the, I'm not saying it's that difficult, but yeah, to say that we we do a put a program out there and a big mission, a big push to get people to come to the church, and we get one more person to come in the church door the next week, and we and our first thoughts to say, I wish there had, I wish there was more. That's a good thing. That's a good heart because you want more people, but that could often distract you from the fact that there's a new person in your midst. A person responded. That is a success. Heaven is rejoicing, but because it doesn't meet our standards, yeah, 
it yeah <sighs> yeah and, and I think there's a lot of freedom my friend that you and a lot of pastors I mean even myself right I'm not a, I'm not an ordained pastor but hey man I'm a follower of Jesus you know at the end of the day that's our that's mission number one well I don't care if you're a pastor I don't care if you're the choir boy I don't care if you're the usher list you know what I mean whatever that's mission number one for you but yeah. I, I think there's a lot of freedom I wish I could tell every pastor hey man people's spiritual journey is not your responsibility right? Yeah. You, you are not responsible for another person's faith journey. You're not, right? I mean, Jesus does a pretty good job himself. You know, yeah. I, I, this, the Holy Spirit does a pretty good job himself. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you're called to love, you're called to connect with God and uh, everything else, you know, having said that, it's going to be a byproduct. Um, but no, I feel for you, man. I, I'm connecting with where you're at right now, you know? Like I absolutely, man, I, I'm absolutely connecting. I, I have the same, I have a very similar heart, you know, cause, cause as we're talking, God is just, God is just saying, you know, it's like, man, I want to be, I, I want to, I want these kids, these children of mine to know me. Yeah. That's all I want. I just want them to know me. That's it. Um, and a lot of times the real healing isn't the people from the streets coming into the church. It's people in the pews themselves that, that need to know God, um, man, I feel you, bro. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're focused on the bottom line. We're focused on a budget. We're focused on um, other things. We're, we're missing what's literally right in front of us. And uh, you know, how, how we gauge success, how, how we do that. And I'm not saying the temptation isn't there. I mean, my gosh, the temptation that you must feel from time to time, I'm not going to plan to relate to it, but again, we have different burdens. And when you can both be focused or all of us can be focused on God, that like you mentioned that the peace that comes with that and the, the trust, um, that that comes with it as well saying hey i know that person has my back because they're running towards the father they're yeah. chasing after the father's will like that that's that's the church that's when you can yeah. welcome people into your building saying hey this is a this is a we'll talk about safe spaces this is a safe space in every sense of the imagination yeah um, but, I, I real quick i remember yeah. when i was 19 and my yeah. mentor has a very similar story I remember when I was 19 years, 18 years old, I was a freshman at Olivet. I remember it was, it was the same night as the uh, ONU block party. Um, okay. And, and uh, our, we had an RA, his name was Aaron. Aaron yep. Hemsberg. Yep. Yep. Thick. I love that dude, man. And yeah. so I, I haven't talked to him in years, but I remember it was Friday night. I was, I was taking the train, the Amtrak um, back to Schomburg, Streamwood, right where my parents were. I was going, I went home every single weekend as a freshman. And I remember he came with me on a Friday night. It was, and it was questionable to say the least. The Amtrak station in Kankakee, Illinois. It's very questionable. Um, <laughs> I, I was, I'm not gonna lie. I was pretty scared. I, I'm thankful to this day that Aaron came with me because man, if I was by myself, I don't know what I would, what would happen. But I remember getting on the train and uh, I sat next to a dude because like, Almost all the seats were filled, but I sat next to a dude who was going home to the same area that I grew up in, but he was from U of I, right? So the train went from U of I, right? Champaign, Illinois, all the way to, to Kankakee, and it was going up the stream with Schomburg. And, you know, he wasn't a believer. We sat down, we just got to talking, you know, and I shared my testimony and I shared how that summer, you know, I went, I had this disease and God, you know, it was a way for me to, to start following Jesus and, and as opposed to believing him and it started this path of seeking what does intimacy look like with the, with the father? What does real intimacy look like with the father? Um, not just reciting scripture or whatever. Um, but I shared that story with him and then I never saw him again. 
And I, I share that story a lot of times in churches. And you know what happens next, Michael? You know what happens next? They're like, well, well what happened? Yeah, what did happened? He, did, did, did you see him again? And, you know, he was a believer and he, he, he was like, well, Daniel, I was so inspired by your testimony that I, I signed up for seminary, right? Like, or did, what, what happened? Did he attend the church? Did he say the sinner's prayer? Did he attend membership class at one of our fine Nazarene institutions? Um, did he get into, you know, did he read that book by John Wesley? What, what, what did he attend all of it at Nazarene university? What happened? And it, it's, it blows my mind that us as a, as a church in the United States are so romantic about results. You know, we're so tied to the result, the number, what is the number? And that drives yeah. me nuts because I just did what God asked me to do. You know, yeah. all God did ask me to do was just share. And that's it. It's not my business to know what happened afterwards or whether or not he converted, whether or not what he may, he may be for all we know, that was what, almost 10 years ago. That was nine years ago. He, he, for all I know, he could be in Vegas right now, smoking weed, <laughs> you know, for all I know, all, all I know is I, I did what the father asked me to do. Right. I, I took that 30 minutes that we had together on that train ride and I shared with him the heart of the father. Yeah. That's it. There's no results. There's no number. There's no conversion. There's no, you know, walk down to the altar and, and, you know, have a membership class and then say the sinner's prayer and then say yes to three questions and congratulations. You're now a follower of Jesus, right? Woo. Um, that's, that's not it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so many of us in the Western church, we, 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 man, we love that too much. You're, you're absolutely right. Because talk about something being countercultural, whether you're in real estate, you're a broker on, on, on the wall street, you are um, an investment banker. You are, I don't know, any sort of like profession that deals the handles of money and needs results. Um, you know, think of anywhere from that to maybe like an architect to a farmer. Uh, when Jesus says, you know, yeah. planting seeds, he never actually talks about you know, the fact that, yes, it's going to yield fruit. You no know, seeds scattered over here, seeds scattered over here. Well, the problem is when you're planting seeds or, you know, fishing for men is, uh, is what Jesus tells uh, Simon Peter. Um, we're not entitled to see those results because oftentimes, you know, what, like what you're talking about, people like obviously want to see and hear a good story. But that's more about me and fulfilling a need that I have it has nothing to do with the other person. Yeah. Like what if your role is just that temporary place yeah. in their life and that's it. You, you can't name one dude or woman in the Bible that saw the full fruition of what God, what God asked them to do. Not one. You could say even Jesus, right? Like, I mean, yeah, you could, he's God, right? He's, he's yeah. with us right now. So obviously he's an exception, but not one, not, not Moses, not Elijah, you know, certainly not Adam, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, he's a bona fide scrub, um, <laughs> right, but, but certainly not Paul, not Peter, not James, John, Luke, Mark, you, you name it, Titus, yeah. Timothy, you know, none of these guys saw the full, the full fruition and the results of, of what the Lord did through their life and in their work, because none of that happened until they were dead, you know, and, and that's the, the beautiful reality. It's a perfect representation of it's not about us. Yeah. You know, it's not about us, man. We're just, we're just a spoke on the wheel. Right. Like that's it. it. 
And and sometimes we think we're so important. We have such a role to oh play. I deserve gosh. I deserve to hear that answer. I deserve to see that the end result because I mean our world for a lot of professions it demands that you have to see it through to the end yeah. or you know you have to be able to show success in order to either keep your job, get a promotion, what have you. And so then when you say, well, wait a minute, how do we know that that interaction was worth it? Uh, well, you don't because yeah. like you had mentioned, like. Our, our role, especially as pastors, you look at Jeremiah and Ezekiel, it, it pretty much holds to account what God will do to the shepherds of Israel who will mistreat the flock. Absolutely. The best and you know part. Yeah. And you know what's scary? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but, but, but you know what's scary is that it, it, it represents a lot of times that we desire validation and credit from other people than to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Oh. Yes. I mean, that, that like if, if you desire to see the results of quote unquote, what you said or did, that's it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. It blatantly means that you desire self-validation, validation from other people, credit, glory, then the glory to God. That, that's what that means. And there's no way around it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no uh, uh, like that, that. That's as clear as, you know, rainbows have colors. One plus one equals two. Grass is green. That, that it's it's plain and simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, as as we're talking here, it, it's it's very convicting because of you know personally, um, <laughs> I don't I don't know how to really it's it's bothering because of how convicting it is of where I've been in my life, thinking that well, God you're obviously calling me to do it. Like, all right, it makes me feel good. And now I do it and how my motive can still be wrong. I can spread the gospel and it can still be a bad motive, but how precious the grace is from God that he can still use Christians in our flawed nature to, to reach people. He is not dependent upon us to reach other people. Well, we will still yeah. be held accountable for our actions. We will still be held accountable for what we do or don't do on this side of heaven. Absolutely. But, you know, to say that, you know, you know, if I was a faithful witness to somebody and they didn't become a Christian, no, that's, that's not going to be on me, but I will certainly, if I'm a bad witness, I will certainly be held accountable in the reverse. So that, yeah, I'm not responsible for someone's faith journey as far as, yeah, they have to be accountable because people I think still have the laws of God written on their hearts, but I certainly can't help uh, sometimes I still can certainly worsen it. And if I'm out for out for revenge, I'm out for justice, I'm out for um, my own self glory. Oh, I, I could uh, do some damage and God's going to say, so you remember that one time when it was all about you? <laughs> yeah. He could say that. I mean, he could say that about me a lot, man. I'll be, I'll be the first, right. I'll be the first to tell you, you know, what's crazy is when, when Jesus is calling Simon Peter, right. You know, remember they're, they're by the boat. You know, and oh, yeah. it's Peter's boat, and Jesus is like, "Hey, man, I want to use your boat." And they have that beautiful dialect. Look in Scripture; a lot of people don't talk about this. I've actually never heard a pastor preach a sermon on this, but I think this is gold. Look at the Scripture; it's it's it clearly says that Peter wasn't the only one that had a boat there, right? The Scripture said there was somebody else that had a boat right next to him. You know, and I'm I'm of the believer. I have a hunch that if Peter said no. Jesus would probably would have gone to the other dude, yeah. you know, like that's the reality, man. Yeah, the, that's, that's a true and, and true. And we would have never known Peter's name. You know, we would have never heard him deny Christ three times. We would have never, 
you know, talked about how he hung, you know, when he was crucified, he was crucified upside down, you know, because he didn't feel worthy. Like we would have never talked about that. Yeah. And that's, that's the reality of the situation. You know, I think people need to know God's got a plan for us. Yes. But Satan does too. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, you know? <laughs> that's a very good point. And, and what's Peter's like first response to, well, I would say first or second response to Jesus go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Yeah. Um, that revelation, we don't like to be told that we're bad. That's the, that's the talk about coming full circle where we talked about like this idea of spiritualism. Spiritualism doesn't really condemn you. It doesn't yeah. talk like the, the thing is you feel great. Like, yeah, it's yeah. all about self-exhaustion. Yeah. It's the idea of I, I am, I am, it's, there's a lot of nuance here, but it's the idea of I am enough mentality. Yeah. Uh, it's I, I am all these things, which I think in a vacuum can be true because of God do, certainly has value place given you value but to say that i by myself i am okay i am perfect i am like i am everything and this is how i experience god like again so who who's at the center then <laughs> yeah and you know I'm, I'm i don't mean to judge you know which you know because at the end of the day scripture says right by, by this by the same way you judge people will judge you yeah. it never says not to judge by the way right like jesus says in matthew chapter 7 very clearly he never says, hey, don't judge. He says, don't judge unless you want to be judged the same way. That's, yeah. that's what he says. Yeah, it means right? be careful in how you do be this. careful. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. Be care- right, exactly. Be careful how you engage with one another. Yeah, and, and that's, yeah, we take that. I mean, yeah, it literally says here yeah, the first in Matthew chapter 7, yes, do not judge lest you be judged. But, and then it's, and then people just stop there. It's like, well, what's the, what's the point of him saying that? And, you know, you look at Galatians, Galatians chapter five, you're given, you know, the fruits of the spirit, you're given ways on which we, um, I can measure the fruit, measure the spiritual maturity of a person. So if someone, you know, Daniel Kwok, you're a Christian, then I better be able to see these fruits. I better be able to taste your life and see these fruits in your life. And if I can't, then I, as another Christian, were given the way. I mean, like you'd say, God, don't be judged. Well, if Jesus says only God can judge me and that, no, you can't judge me. Well, then why does Jesus give us the ability to rebuke one another? Take one and then take two. And then why does the rest of the New Testament, you know, in, in Peter and in Titus talk about yeah. how we are to admonish those and rebuke those in the congregation uh, who are leaders? And, and Timothy talks about that too. Um, well, why are all those things there if we're not, we can't judge one another? Well, no, let's not talk about how the world talks about judgment. Well, what does the Bible talk about? Because if we can't hold each other accountable, then what are we doing? Right. I don't, I don't understand. Like, 100%. You, yeah, everyone perfect then? I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know, thou shalt not fat shame the other people. Like, <laughs> he doesn't say that, you know? But, <laughs> but oh, you, you want to you know what my favorite parable is? My, and you brought it up, my friend, just now. My favorite parable is the parable with the seeds, right? There's some seed fall in the dirt and the birds come and, and they, they pick upon some birds fall in the concrete, some birds fall in the thorns and some birds uh, or some seeds fall in the, the good soil and it multiplies by a hundred, right? There's a business guy. His name is Grant Cardone. He's always talking about 10 X. Well, I love to bring up the fact Jesus wasn't about 10 X. He was about a hundred X, right? Yeah. And, and my favorite part of the parable is the, is the one where, you know, the seeds fall on good soil. Right. It's 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 one of only three times, I believe it falls on good soil. Right. Because one falls on, on the rocky places and never grows. Yeah. And then, you know, the one soil, the, the seed goes, but the birds come and they eat it. And then the seed never even has a chance to even blossom. 
um, I think where a lot of American Christians are at is the third scenario where this it's good soil and the seed blossoms, right? There's the, the it comes, it comes, you know, the plant comes up, but the thorns choke it out. And Jesus is very clear. And I think, again, this is where a majority of Western Christians are at myself included at times, right? Uh, I believe this is where most of us are at. And Jesus is very clear what the thorns represent. He says it represents three things, right? He says this, that the seed of wealth, that's number one, in terms of what wealth could do for you, right? Or the love of money, as Jesus says. So number one is that the seed of wealth. The number three is, is, is the constant need for more, right? Of God's not good enough. Where, as Paul says, I will trade everything I have for intimacy with you, right? So that the seed of wealth, the constant need for more, and the concerns and the worries of the world. I.e., every Christian going on social media talking about their own opinions. Yeah. Concerns of the world. I don't, I don't know how many more concerns you want, right? At this point, I think there was memes I saw of like, man, at this point, you know, <laughs> the aliens can come and abduct <laughs> us all, you know, based on how, how the last 12 months have been going, you know? Yeah. Uh, but but it's, it's very clear, right? No matter what happens to the world, we as Christians, we're not to be phased by it. No, no, not at all. No. And so again, that's, that's where I think most of us are, right. That the seed of wealth, you know, the constant need for more and the concerns of the world, right. The, the constant, the the concerns and the worry of the world. Those are the thorns. Jesus was very clear. Those are the things that prevent us from producing fruit. And we're not saying this is easy. Like, again, I think we're talking about people who are maybe stuck in this. It's, you know, where, where are you at? Are you waking up? I, I try to take this, this metaphor. Are you waking up on your feet every day or on your knees? Are you waking up relying on your own strength on your own two feet? Or are you getting down saying, father, um, I need your strength through this day. It's, it's honestly, it's, it's that simple. Um, and it's asking what God's will it's, it's the most the the best part I love about our Easter and especially Holy Week is, is looking at the hubris and the pride of Peter. You know, he's telling the Lord, I won't betray you. He goes, uh, yeah, actually, before the rooster crows, you'll do it three times. <laughs> he's trying to tell the Lord what's going to happen. And then Jesus in the garden is saying, you know, please let this cup pass from me. The most human moments, like Peter recognizing like or in the, in his pride, like, Oh, of course I'm not going to fail God. I mean, what are you talking about? Like, I'd never do that. And then you have Jesus in his humanity saying, I, what's about to happen to me in his humanity. He's like, I don't want this to do it, but, and then it's the, but thy will be done. Thy will be done. And I, I've been struggling with this quack is that there's a lot of people including myself, I have to look in the mirror, who are always willing to ask themselves or ask God, please, can you take this cup from me without finishing that with, but thy will be done. It's kind of like, can you just please take this from me? And that's it. We don't want to ask or even wrestle with this idea that it actually might be God's will for that cup to stay in your hands. It might be that way. To, to do that, to carry that burden, that requires the utmost humility. And it comes back to the M word you've been talking about this entire time, maturation, and then which is the intimacy with Christ. And 
how you get there, that's a, that's a mystery. I mean, there's not, I can't write a, a 10, 10 step book, uh, yeah. 10 step well, like, book. On a, that. a lot of people ask, how do you get there? Well, it's simple. <laughs> just, just ask, ask yeah. God. Yeah. Like who better to ask on how to get closer to God than God? Yeah, you know? right. I mean, dude, I had to be, I had to humble myself, man. When I mean, you know, I'm still on this journey as well, as you mentioned, of just saying, God, I like, how do I connect with you? Like, how do I do that? Like, yeah. please help me connect with you. Cause I, I have never been taught that the church hasn't taught me. Humans have not taught me. I have not taught me. Please show me how I can connect with you. Like how, how do I have intimacy with you? And him being the good father that he is, I'm, I'm, my hunch is he'll probably show you. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and, and cause our temptation is, you know, Oh, got to go to my pastor or, Oh, got to go to the podcast or, Oh, got to go to, you know, um, all these, you know, Sky the Chastani and all these different theologians that, you know, that that's our temptation. Um, but man, that's, that is in itself is a trap. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying that, Hey, don't listen to your favorite Christian. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I think these guys have phenomenal things to say, you know, that they can share. Um, but in terms of having intimacy with Jesus, there's no one better to do that than the Holy spirit. Yeah. No one, you know, it, and, and for you to say otherwise for anybody to say otherwise is, is completely arrogant. Yeah. I guess like, obviously, cause but with that being said, it's like, okay, so this podcast has been a waste of time. Uh, no, a podcast in a way, a spiritual podcast would be a waste of time. Oh, dude, I don't think you were recording. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, it's funny. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, the entire time, uh, as my heart sinks, you know, that, that, that's why for, for us that, a spiritual podcast like this, it would be nothing if we're not trying to point back to the father. Yeah. hundred percent, dude. Like, it's like, no, I, I can't in, in good conscience. If Jesus did that, we have to be willing to do the same. And you know, the, in the best part, uh, Daniel is that, yes, I don't see on a daily basis, but I see that fruit in your lives. And the, the fact that you are constantly trying to humble yourself, I think is, is part of that journey. And for anyone else out there who, might be, you know, in a place where they're just maybe on the precipice, you know, maybe where you were at, like the, like when you graduated of saying, I just want you to turn around. I just want you to go in the right direction. Do you have any, uh, just closing thoughts on for those people that, you know, they've asked God, they, they just, they want, they just need another, another kick in the pants of, I have this money or I've been blessed with these things, but I don't know. I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen next when, when I want to do the God's will what is your encouragement to those who, when you made that decision, how has your life changed since? Yeah. So my, the, the best changes in my life have never happened out of fear. Uh, I think acting on fear is the opposite of what God wants to do. So many Christians today, they do things based on fear because they believe that if they don't do it, God's going to punish them. Mm. Um, it's not true at all. Right. God has never punished me. Let me be very clear about that. And don't get me wrong, there's been some pretty crappy things that have happened in my life. But in, I've, there's no, in, in, you know, I look in hindsight now, there has been no time that God has punished me. If anything, he has rewarded me. Um, it may have sucked here on earth, but, you know, it, spiritually speaking, and according to heavenly terms, it was, it was awesome. So for those individuals who, who are, you know, struggling, right, and, and I hesitate to use that word because, you and I are struggling in some way, shape, or form. We all oh, struggle, mm -hmm. right? We're all struggling. Um, 
but I would, I would say, man, you know, just connect with the heart of the father. That's it. That's all I got to do. And I hate to beat a dead horse, but you do that, then, you know, the, the, the acts will, will come out of love. Um, I, uh, you know, when I first started f- actually following Jesus, I remember being afraid. I was very afraid because I didn't know what I was getting myself into. It was so different than what I was taught in Sunday school. Uh, it was so different than what I heard from the pulpit from many pastors. It was so different than Bible studies I've attended. Um, Cause it meant that it was real this time. You know, yeah. it, it meant that God and I had real intimacy and I was afraid. I was afraid that he was going to ask me to do something that I didn't want to do, that he was going to take something from me that, you know, he was going to, um, I don't know. I was very afraid. And, you know, and I, I, the minute I became honest with God about that, because a lot of times when we are afraid, we want to hide. Mm-hmm. Right. But the minute I was honest, I said, Lord, like father, I'm not gonna, I'm afraid. Like I'm, I want to follow you, but I am afraid. Yeah. Um, help me overcome this fear. Help me to understand, help me to know what it means for my heart to be aligned with yours. Um, help me to truly know you. Um, and I trust that you will have my back. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, they say perfect love drives off fear. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure that's a hill song song. That was, oh, that's, that, that, that's, that is scripture based. Uh, okay good i don't know no, no, the, yeah no i i think we kind of like you're getting as is maybe this double entendre on fear uh you know oswald chambers a great theologian he has a oh, love that quote guy. yeah it's uh he, he has the quote up there it says the remarkable thing about god is that when you fear god you fear nothing else whereas if you do not fear god you fear everything else and yeah. it's the idea of like being afraid of something and then like you're scared of like that ghost under the bed versus having fear or reverence for God. And I love, that's why I love Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is my favorite book in the Bible. It's the whole, everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless uh, book. And at the end of that whole book about just this whole thing of all the fleeting pleasures in life and how that, you know, pursuing this is meaningless at the end of it all, it says, at the end of the day, for the most, for like better, for worse, it says, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the purpose of mankind. That's yeah. it. And it's so simple and yeah. it's so hard to do. I'm not saying like living it out. I mean, <laughs> what part of this journey in Christianity has been easy, but it's not something. I mean, the fact that kids can grasp it, it's yeah. not a fool's faith. It's not something that you have to study in a lecture hall or put under a microscope. It is really easy. So Jesus said, come follow me, take up your cross daily and come follow me. It's yes, it is that. And it starts with simply asking God. I think that's, which is your message. Everybody should go read this book. Um, It's by a friend of mine named Glenn Murray. He's 86, but man, has he nailed down what it really means to follow Jesus. Um, The book is titled uncommon thoughts about commonly held beliefs. And it's by a guy named Glenn Murray, G L E N N. M-U-R-R-A-Y. Uh, uncommon thoughts about commonly held beliefs. It blew, it rocked my socks off, man. Um, you know, and he's, he's a, a mentor to a very close friend of mine. And, uh, you know, I got to see him last year before COVID. And, uh, man, that guy just exudes love, you know. And he just, he keeps it real. That's what I respect about him, you know. Um, he keeps it real. But anyway, hey, man, I love you. 
Thanks yeah. for thanks for having me on this podcast, man. When are you going to come visit? Uh, yeah, well, I, I plan on, I, I don't know, I can't believe this. It's our five-year class reunion <laughs> this year. That's happening? Yeah, and so I, I plan on, even if I don't, like, I'm going to see some of my guys from from my class, you know, you know, Dan Burkio, Curtis Case, Adam Deckard, those guys are going to be down there. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them. So I plan on coming down in the fall, if not sooner, but I'll be down at least once this year. Yeah. So let me know. Stay, yeah. Just, I, I want to show you around yeah. you know, where I live. I want, yeah. I want you to you know, meet the please. wife and stay at my place. And yes, please. I, I take free free housing any, anytime. So I'm going to set uh, you up while you're here. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. So uh, there's a community that I, you know, that I have every Wednesday night. We call it's called the Young Professionals Forum. Okay. And there's about 30, 40 of us. And we just get together. We we just talk about what does it mean to authentically follow Jesus. And it's it's facilitated and led by my very good friend, Mr. Uh, Andy Willemies. Um, okay. And uh, there's there's some single ladies there. I think. Oh dear lord. I think they would love to meet you. All right. I, I have no problem marrying up because uh, that's what's going to happen anyway. So. Uh, yeah. But, but Dan, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I, I can't say how much I appreciate it. I lo- love the insights and my prayers are with you and uh, you have, you have blessed us uh, with your wisdom. And uh, I, if there's anything that the show can ever be doing for you, a future, future collaboration uh, again, um, I'd love to have you back. Not, not my wisdom, my friend, you know, I just, I, like I said, I, I only do what I see my father doing, but I love, <laughs> I love you, bro. It. Thank you. Too, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you to Daniel and his time. He's a busy guy, and I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to bother him with a few questions. I hope you all find this meaningful as all the rest of the interviews that are out there on this podcast platform. Dan, my prayers are with you, buddy. I know we will talk again soon for sure. Hey, so if you like this podcast, let us know. If you didn't, still let us know. Uh, leave a comment, review, like, or favorite on any of your podcast platforms. Also, if you have had any requests so far or future requests, please continue to give us that feedback and feel free to email the show anytime at wsnspodcast at gmail.com. Blessings, everyone.